Well, thank you very much for joining us. This is Sarah Gasson, the opinion editor at the Arizona Daily Star. We are here talking about Proposition 205 in uh, the city of Tucson, and welcome to our Point Being podcast. We're going to go around and introduce ourselves. Uh, we can pass the mic um, if needed. Uh, just to set a few expectations, we're here for um, a conversation, not a point-by-point -point debate. We're interested in the, the facts and the um, actual initiative itself and, and the for and against. Um, and what we're going to do is we're all on the record. And we have some questions. Joe has some questions, and as does Edward and Jill. And everyone will, or both sides, I should say, because um, we don't have a time for all five of us to, to answer every question. But we want to hear from, from you know, the pro and the con um, in a way that is, I'm not going to time except for uh, opening statement. But just be mindful, we have about an hour, and um, so no filibustering. So uh, let's pass this to my right. Hello, I'm Arizona Daily Star editor Jill Jordan-Spitz. I'm your Arizona Daily Star opinion writer, Edward Salaya. I'm Billy Peard, uh, representing the Yes on 205 position. Hello, my name is Saira Rivier. I am the founder and director of People's Defense Initiative and the chair of Prop 205. Thank you. I'm Larry Lucero, co-chair of the No on Prop 205. I am Manuel Davila, treasurer of No on Prop 205. Hi, I'm Yvette Ruimar-Gayan, and I am co-chair on No um, for Prop 205. Hi, I'm Joe Ferguson. I'm the political reporter with the Arizona Daily Star. Great. All right. So let's have um, about a minute opening statement from, from each side. And um, let's start with uh, the pro. Um, all right. Just an opening statement about our prop. Yeah. Why? Um, kind of an overview, if you don't mind. Uh, so Prop 205 is what's more commonly known as the Sanctuary City Initiative. Prop 205 was actually born out of a bill called Frankie's Bill out of Flagstaff. Both initiatives have been pushed by migrant families like myself. I actually grew up just around the corner from here. I've been here for 25 years. I lived here as an undocumented child, so did my brother. My brother, much like Frankie, was deported and then later died because of that deportation. So Prop 205 was really born out of a grassroots movement on the ground, not just against SB 1070, but against the uh, now uh, federal administration that we have that continues to very much terrorize and uh, bully our community. Um, so Prop 205 was born out of uh, a movement to protect, to take a stand, and to keep Tucson families free and together. Great, thank you. So, about the anti-folks. Well, thank you first and foremost for the opportunity to inform me. Thank you for the opportunity to inform me about uh, what uh, the No Campaign on Prop 205 is all about. Uh, it is a group of citizens who have gathered to try to inform the voters about the uh, 
proposition that is on the ballot. Quite frankly, we are quite concerned as, as both community-involved individuals, business people, and having had a stake in organizations that have been involved in this community for a great deal of time about the, the unintended consequences of this proposition. First and foremost, it greatly decreases public safety. Uh, secondly, the initiative will put at great risk the city's uh, state share of uh, state shared uh, sales tax revenue. The entire mayor and council is opposed to this proposition. So those are the three key elements of our conversation that we would like to make sure that uh, the voters are familiar with. So thank you. Those are good. It's both like you were both like within a second or two of a minute. So congratulations on, on having that inner timing. Um, so if we could start with what need specific to Tucson would Prop 205, uh, the initiative, fulfill? In, in concrete terms, can you explain why Tucson Police Department uh, needs this sort of initiative? I, I'd like to take that question and actually turn it a little bit differently because we didn't write this initiative because of a need directly to Tucson Police Department. Um, what we did when we sat down to have these conversations and to write this initiative was uh, kind of a big picture. PDI, we wanted to um, build infrastructure for a people-led movement to start making some real changes in the community that uh, we weren't seeing coming from the top down. Um, we identified three issues in Tucson that are incredibly important to uh, the, the, the community. Number one, our poverty rate hovers at about a 13% above average nationally. We have a high unemployment rate. We have a high criminalization rate, especially under Barbara Lawal, where mass incarceration has just um, skyrocketed under her, specifically for women of color who have themselves been victims of either domestic violence or sexual assault. And of course, migration, right? Because this is a community um, where uh, undocumented migrants and migrants themselves uh, make up an integral part of, of the community. So when we started to think of what kind of future we wanted in Tucson, in Tucson where people and everyone has the opportunity to thrive, we started working backwards. Why we landed on a sanctuary city initiative is because the data is there. Overwhelmingly, when you put into, into law, actual policies that protect the most vulnerable residents in our community, that allow victims of domestic violence and sexual assault and otherwise to come forward, you start to build a community where children are better, our schools do better, fear and toxic stress is uh, relieved in our community. The data is there. SB 1070 was passed 10 years ago here in, in Arizona. So Tucson is no stranger to racist and xenophobic uh, policy. Um, so we went and wrote this specifically to Tucson. So if you look at it, although it has protections in there directly against SB 1070, where SB 1070 is vague, we're very specific. We squeeze it so that it's almost unenforceable here in Tucson. But there's other, also other protections, protections for domestic 
for victims of domestic violence and sexual assault to come forward, an expedited process for U visa, which also encourages undocumented people to report crimes. We have protections against pretextual stops in there. We have protections to uplift um, and really reinforce civil rights and liberties for everyone in Tucson. Um, um, so, so this is an initiative that's custom and tailored to the needs of Tucson. You see across the board around the country that the whole boat is uplifted. Uh, we have poverty rates drop, unemployment lowers. The, the data does not show by any standard that sanctuary city policies make a community less safe. As a matter of fact, the opposite is true. Okay, and just you mentioned PDI. Um, just isn't, could you just quickly explain that? Sure, People's Defense Initiative, okay. the organization behind uh, this uh, pro proposal. Okay, mm -hmm. thank you. Um, uh, the, what is the response from, from the anti-205 side? Um, I don't know if Larry, no, you, uh, no on 205, yeah. um, if you'd like to respond. Sure, let me, let me, uh, give you a 30,000 foot response, and then maybe Rick has some more specifics um, that you'd like to share. Uh, but again, um, clearly, this proposal is full of unintended consequences. Um, the heart is in the right place. Unfortunately, the, implicate, the imp impact of this proposal being adopted will fall squarely on the shoulders of the least, of the most vulnerable in our community. The city of Tucson has had great success in, first of all, interpreting 1070 and creating an environment where uh, local law enforcement adheres to its expectations and has done that quite well with the assistance of the ACLU and the city attorney's office, as well as guidance from mayor and council. That's why they unanimous, unanimously stand against it, because they think they have established an immigrant welcoming environment evidenced by the great efforts that have occurred here in Tucson over the last years with respect to the tremendous influx of travelers that have, for a variety of reasons, uh, found Tucson, uh, or been put into Tucson as a result of uh, their being uh, in this country. Uh, our efforts will not stop there. Um, the unintended consequence of this proposition is that the most vulnerable will end up being the ones that suffer the most. All those programs that we need to impact our poverty rate, our, our low home ownership rates, our low wage rates, all of those efforts will be hamstrung by this action. Uh, we can't afford to tie the hands of our mayor and council going forward with their efforts to improve the economic conditions of our citizens. So that's a very clear challenge for us as, as community leaders, that this is the wrong answer. This is not the solution for the issues that we face in this community. Hey, Edward, you sure. have a question? Yes. All right, this is for the pro side. Um, so the ordinance, if passed, has structures that limit the how and the when an officer can ask about a person's documentation. What's an example of a uh, permissible and then an, an example of an impermissible inquiry by an officer if this were to pass? 
Thank you, Edward. Um, so first, an example of what would be, if 205 were to pass an example of uh, an inquiry that would be permissible still under uh, a new regime under 205. Um, for example, if a driver in the city limits of Tucson is pulled over for a routine traffic stop, let's say, let's give the example, the typical example of speeding, and that driver is unable to present a Arizona driver's license, is unable to present any other U.S.-issued driver's license from another state, uh, when asked for ID, uh, only presents a foreign passport, no driver's license at all, and there might be other indications uh, that the person may have undocumented immigration status. In that case, uh, most likely, without you know, knowing the specific details of that example, but in broad terms, most likely that would still be a permissible um, scenario in which a local TPD officer would be permitted or even required still to uh, contact federal immigration authorities. An example under 205 where it would not be permissible um, would be uh, any number of things. It would be if there's, um, let's say, uh, a vehicle passenger. A vehicle passenger, of course, is not required to present a driver's license because they're not driving. And under current, um, under current procedure, this does happen routinely. In fact, there are examples in recent history, in 2019, in Tucson, uh, of vehicle passengers who presented no evidence of illegality. In other words, they didn't... Uh, there was no reasonable suspicion or probable cause that they were committing a local crime under state law. They were obviously not driving, so they weren't committing any driving offenses. And yet, uh, federal immigration authorities were called to the scene and were involved, and that was the decision by a TPD officer. That In that example, that's just one of many, but that in that specific example, that would be prohibited, as we think it ought to be uh, in a post-205 world. So I have a question. Well, following up on that, then, um, with the, as you said, a passenger shouldn't be, and it's in the TPD general orders, should not be uh, required to, to give, produce ID um, if they're the passenger in a car that's been stopped for traffic, whatever. Um, it sounds like, in those examples, the problem was with a specific officer. So I'm wondering if the how do you respond to changing the entire system, this large scale change, when you could argue that the actions of one or individual officers is the problem? Well, I, I like to, you know, the term is oftentimes, the phrase is oftentimes used when we discuss these types of issues. Um, you know, it, it's just a couple of rotten apples. Um, and I really, uh, you didn't provide, you didn't give that, yeah, that's that phrase, not that, you didn't use that phrase, but I, I, I but I, but I do evoke that, <laughs> uh, that commonly used phrase because the, the, the full adage, the old adage is that is the full phrase is a couple bad apples ruins the whole barrel. And you didn't use that phrase, but I do want to evoke it because I think it goes to our point of this initiative, which is, um, it's not about, you know, uh, we're not here to, um, past uh, aspersions on, on officers or on the police department as a whole. What we're here to do is to, is to change structures. Um, sure, maybe in a couple instances, uh, officers could be disciplined and that would be dealt with individually. And I, and I have no doubt that in some cases that, that does take place under the leadership of Chief Magnus. But um, 
that doesn't solve the underlying systemic issue that we live in a state uh, where the where SB 1070 is on the books, uh, where there's frankly a lot of situations where officers are led to believe they're required to involve federal immigration authorities, but they're not actually required because the language of SB 1070 is so vague. And so Prop 205 provides guidance. It provides clarity where clarity is currently lacking. Um, the passenger example, I think, is a good one. The current, the current police policy uh, is not exactly clear on this point. 205 would make it clear in the example of passengers. Um, and I would also say, I would also point out that when we talk about um, dealing with a problem from the standpoint of individual officers versus dealing with a problem in a systemic manner, uh, we lose track, you know, following the passage of SB 1070 in April of 2010, there were a whole slew of lawsuits filed against it. Who filed the very first lawsuit against SB 1070 in April of 2010? It was not the ACLU. It was not uh, national advocacy groups. It was not. It was not the Obama administration. The very first lawsuit filed against SB 1070 was by a, a then TPD officer, Martin Escobar, who said, who in his lawsuit alleged that SB 1070 and the lack of clarity, specifically the lack of guidance and clarity and training, was what he was taking issue with as a, as a then TPD officer. May we respond to that? Sure, yeah. definitely. Thank you. Um, in the last 19 months, TPD has had 26 instances of coming into contact with situations that required them to check status of individuals. That's uh, just a little over one a month, 1.2 per month. Out of those in events, uh, there were three, three situations where um, CBP was, uh, uh, Customs and Border Protection, were alerted and needed to come on site. In all three of those cases, uh, the individuals were arrested uh, for a variety of offenses, one of them being of sexual assault, domestic violence, uh, as well as smuggling. So the number of events uh, that are being characterized are few and far between. However, back to the point of the original uh, 1070 enactment and all the time that's passed since then, that's exactly why uh, city leadership took it upon themselves to develop general orders that addressed the concerns of the officer who filed the original lawsuit to try to come up with a system whereby they could do their job and enforce local ordinances that they're, you know, they're empowered to, to enforce. And so uh, it's been uh, a difficult process for them, and they continue to strive to make sure, under the leadership of, of Chief Magnus, from the top down, everyone believes that they can do as good a job following both state and federal laws, and yet retain the immigrant-friendly status that we have so justly deserved. So, for what that's worth. So, one of the, the things that we keep talking about is the SB 1070, which the STAR came out so strongly against, um, oppose it still. Uh, we're glad that most of it was struck down, and, and I understand and hear the, the concern um, about that. But that is a state law, and how will a 
city initiative, you can't, a city can't change state law. So can you walk us through how you envision this actually standing, working, given that reality that we, I mean, I would, please go ahead. Um, well, just a few points on, on that. Um, what we do with our initiative, as Billy has already stated, is we take the parts of SB 1070 that stand, the most sinister part of it. As an undocumented child here in the early 90s, I didn't really know what that meant, but I'll tell you what, I had one golden rule. One rule, never come into contact with police, ever, under any circumstances. And I can give you instances when my brother and I were walking home from school and there was a police officer parked in front of our apartment and we were so afraid that we hid out in the desert for hours until that police officer left. This is way before SB. When SB 1070 went into the books, 40% of undocumented people and their family members fled the state. Those that stayed murder made their lives very, very, very small, pulled away from the fabric of, of society. And that's what SB 1070 was written to do, make life so unbearable for undocumented people and their families that they would leave, that they would self-deport or that they would leave. What we do with our initiative is, one, we put these quote-unquote immigrant-friendly general orders, which were actually pushed forth by the community, not the, the top-down, um, into law. Because as we know, this is an ever-changing country and state and Tucson. We are not always going to have the same leadership. We may not always retain Chief Magnus, who has done a good job. We're putting into law, we're talking about immigrant-friendly general orders that can be tossed out for a myriad of reasons in the future. Uh, so we're putting strong protections into law. SB 1070, we cannot change, but we wrote it in such a way that our initiative is very, very particular. We make it so that the racial profiling part of it, which we all notice there, is almost unenforceable. And once again, what is the point of this kind of initiative? It's to make the community trust in the institutions, to make it safer for community, to lessen the stress of day-to-day -day lives and to uplift the boat, the, the, the boat for everyone. If you go and speak to um, local business owners, some of the, the worst thing that happened to their business is SB 1070. My favorite bar at Chase downtown. I'm, I'm a longtime bartender. I asked my friend Jim that owns it. What's the worst thing that happened to your business? I thought he was going to tell me the uh, the parking meters, and he said, no, SB 1070, because it was people that look like you that came here the most. And once that happened, we've never been able to recover. We're talking about building an inclusive, equitable city. It's the larger picture. The initiative, when you look at it for what it actually is, all it does is gives guidelines for... Um, first contact with police. And I also will challenge the fact that there's 26 instances because for one, we don't know how that, that those numbers, where they come from. Steve Kasacha gives a different number. Chief Magnus gives a different number. Regina Romero gives a different number. We don't know where these numbers are coming from. And we know from us in the community who show up to these stops and these, um, uh, these collaborations, 
that the ones that we show up to are also not being spoken about in these numbers. And that's actually part of our initiative that says we're going to have to start keeping data on when we're coming into contact with Border Patrol and why. Um, and also, we've been endorsed by the ACLU of Arizona, who put out a great statement in support of our initiative that calls to point the fact that TPD is not perfect and that they believe that this is a wonderful initiative that will protect people. Thank you. Can I, can I add just a quick example? Sure. Going to your, if I understood your question correctly. Um, so in, you know, at, uh, in the legal framework, uh, legislative bodies, including the Arizona State Legislature, when they passed SB 1070, they generally, uh, legislatures legislate in the abstract. They legislate with generalities and, and of necessity, because oftentimes when the legislature is dealing with XYZ issue, what, ha what whatever it might be, they don't know how that's going to play out on the ground. So they leave things open oftentimes. And we believe that's what the case, that's that's the case with SB 1070. Oftentimes it's up to the, up to in federal government agencies, it's up to the federal agency with jurisdiction to fill in some of the blanks. When it comes to state laws that govern the actions of cities, it's up to the cities, city administrations to fill in some of the blanks. And that's precisely what Prop 205 seeks to do. It seeks to fill in some of the blanks, some of the ambiguities, um, some of the blank spaces that are left within SB 1070 and have never been clarified. Um, despite, you mentioned, Sarah, that there's been many lawsuits, there have been many lawsuits, but none of those lawsuits have, re have resulted in an interpretation of the words, of the language, of what remains of SB 1070. Um, we've had certain lawsuits strike down certain specific narrow provisions of what had been the full text of SB 1070, but never, 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 never in nine years has there been a, a judge or a court uh, saying, you know, when SB 1070 says, shall seek, shall make a reasonable attempt to uh, determine one's immigration status, a court has never interpreted what that means on the ground in a specific situation. 205 uh, fills that out, clears, clears it out. Are you hoping that this will, I mean, this will prompt, if it passes, it will prompt a lawsuit so um, from probably different quarters, are you hoping for a lawsuit for a judge to clear this up? Um, because, or are you hoping that, I, I guess I'm wondering, we have the vague, there's vagaries in the law now, the initiative um, would clarify that, that will go to court and a judge could come down with a very different binding description of what that is and fill in the blanks in a way that is opposite to what you're trying to do. How do you weigh that risk? Um, so at the outset, I should say that we don't put forward Prop 205 in order to instigate litigation. Um, we, put in place, we put forward Prop 205 so that the voters of Tucson could make um, a reasoned <coughs> and bold, we hope, choice uh, on the issues and the real life, life and death situations that Saida described earlier uh, that happen on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis here in our own communities. Um, if one of the byproducts of passage of 205 is that it results, it, it lands up in court, um, we will do, we will work with the city partners 
uh, to assist in any kind of legal defense that becomes necessary, and we're confident that a court will uh, come out on our side. In other, in other words, we are confident that the, that the bill is airtight, is crafted very carefully in such a way that it will not result in um, a negative interpretation. Um, no on 205, do you have a response? A lot of ground to cover. I was in Chase Lounge yesterday afternoon. Met, 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 met a couple of my old political friends, uh, Carolyn Campbell and Jerry Anderson. There's a couple of names I go back a ways. Um, but the point of this proposal, again, is full of unintended consequences for this community. This community cannot afford to be the litigation magnet that may result. This, this city cannot afford to continuously pay legal expenses on challenges it will have to, to, to mount in order to defend itself. That's not necessary simply because the rules that are in place today are already adequate. The challenges that we have as a community are clearly understood by those who are um, running for mayor and council. Um, I know that they have uh, the support <coughs> of those, uh, and I, you're correct, uh, Zayda, that you know the the effort to convince leadership to become an immigrant-friendly city came from the grassroots. Absolutely, we do have a community of leaders here who see issues and bring it to the attention of of those who can make a difference, and indeed, uh, got changes made in the way we operate as a community. That's the beauty of this community. As a lifelong resident. I'm very proud of that, that we are an inclusive community and we operate that way. And so, once again, can't uh, stress enough um, that uh, law enforcement, the ability of law enforcement to operate in this community will be greatly compromised. We stand the risk, because of specific language in this proposal, that will force us or force our federal partners to make a choice, which they will not make. They will refuse to accept the conditions upon which are written in this proposal. As a result, very sophisticated tools we have available today will not be available to us. Our which, which, could you be more specific about what you're talking about, the parts of the... The, the requirement for a memorandum of agreement between law enforcement, Tucson Police, and the other federal agencies is an issue that will completely disrupt our collaborative uh, work that we do today with all of the federal agencies, from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms with their ballistics expertise, to FBI, to the, uh, to the uh, DEA. I mean, we have a variety of challenges in this community. And uh, we're not going to sugarcoat that, uh, you know, we do have bad characters out there that we must... Um, continuously watch for and, and deal with. And so without those tools that are available to us, uh, our ability to solve crimes will be greatly compromised. And the, the notion that we might lose officers who were hired specifically for their Spanish-speaking ability to work with the community will be compromised. As a result, those officers who love what they're doing, love working with the community, trying to make a difference, may not be able to continue in their employment as a result of losing resources from the federal government. 
there's about 11, a little over $11 million at stake that we rely on to support those operations. Um, those officers deal with very sensitive um, um, crimes with respect to uh, domestic violence, sexual uh, abuse cases where they're very difficult to prosecute, but yet their efforts have been exemplary in trying to create a community policing uh, environment that the community can feel comfortable and trustworthy and trust their law enforcement partners out there to keep them safe. But we, we risk losing all that. And that's not a risk I want to take. I just want to follow up on that for just a moment. Um, you saying that we run a risk that you make it sound like it's a permanent risk. Obviously, there are lawsuits in place, but don't you think that if this is passed, the courts find against the city that the city would work to undo this prop? This proposition uh, falls under the voter protected um, statutes. So it is a voter protected uh, proposition. So in order to undo any of it, would require it to be brought before the voters again. So you're talking about a process that would take potentially a couple of years to undo Chitter Pass. I would like the opportunity just to respond to that very last point, the, the contention that if, now once again, our, our position is that the entirety of Prop 205 is airtight legally, but the contention, Mr. Lucero, that uh, if one sub-piece or one sub-part of Prop 205 were found by a judge to be illegal or somehow contrary to state law, that the city would have no choice but to turn back to the, to the, you know, the 90,000 voters in Tucson to ask them to reverse what they had already put in place, that is uh, uh, not accurate. So if a court, uh, typically when, a, when there's a court challenge in this, of this nature, it comes in the form of an injunction. So I can point to you multiple examples right here in Arizona where there are provisions of state law that if you Google it, if you Google the certain provision that you're looking for, it shows up, it appears uh, on the books uh, in a literal sense. But it's not really there. The there is not really there because it's been enjoined by a court and the legislative body, the state legislature, or in this case, um, the voters haven't gotten around to the technicality of removing it. We can think of tons of examples over the years that many listeners have probably heard of, of silly, you know, old anachronistic laws from 100 years ago that sound very silly to us today that are still on the books, um, but no one enforces them. They've been enjoined in many cases by the court system. They do not have the legal effect. Uh, in the legal community, we call that, for the technical term is a dead letter. It's there It's there on paper, but it's not really there, and it has no effect, and therefore cannot be the basis for revoking state funding or anything like that. I, I want to, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, I, to the same point uh, that um, we're just discussing, when you actually read the initiative, um, and we're hearing from um, not just opponents here, but opponents kind of across the board. Um, these very um, uh, alarming concerns um, that you know I, that always go directly to millions of dollars lost or the complete inability for Tucson and the city of Tucson to work directly, uh, TPD or the city of Tucson to work directly with federal agencies, but when you actually read the memorandum of understanding part, it doesn't tell 
the tobacco and firearms industry or any of the other, the FBI or anyone that they can't do anything in relate in relation to um, the work here. What our MOU does indeed do is it will ask these federal agencies to sign an agreement that says that one, they will not be doing routine traffic enforcement within the city limits for the purpose of uh, civil immigration matters, and that TPD will not be working with any of these federal agencies if and when the sole purpose of the work involves civil immigration matters. matters. We had to write that in there because there's a vague state law that allows for TPD, I'm sorry, for Border Patrol and ICE to do routine traffic stops, and we actually see that in our community quite often, that they pull people over indiscriminately, search them, and ask them for their paperwork which is why we included it. Now, we keep hearing from the opponents that no federal agency would dare sign it, but that what they don't tell you is that MOUs are actually a normal part of interagency collaboration. And also to, to note that when we discuss people being handed over to Border Patrol, um, Senor Lucero here said that three of them out of the 26, one of them was a sexual uh, 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 he had committed sexual assault and is a trafficker. But we don't hear the other stories. I, a friend of mine, Dario's mother, beautiful lady, Dario is a college student. He's studying, uh, he's doing his master's in engineering. His mother was pulled over by a TPD motorcycle cop after the general, uh, the immigrant friendly general orders, just a mother loving mother who didn't have a driver's license, kept for a prolonged stop, was allowed to walk to the corner to call for a ride, and while she was there, undercover ICE agents came in and picked her up and took her to Eloy Detention Center. So the, the, the opposition continues to push the fear tactic of we're rapists and we're murderers and we're bad people, when in generality, the people that are getting caught in these webs of collaboration are good day-to-day Tucsonans that are just living their life, and I think that needs to be noted.